It's 6 p.m. on Sunday, March 16th, 2008, and it's been one full day since anyone has heard from Juliana Redding. This concerns her mom enough to call the Santa Monica Police Department from her home in Tucson, Arizona, requesting a welfare check at her daughter's quaint bungalow on Centennia Boulevard in Santa Monica, California. The responding officer has no luck getting an answer at the door, and to him, it doesn't look like anybody's inside. He checks the door handle and the front door's locked. But for good measure, he wants to do a walk around the property, thinking Juliana just probably hasn't been home. She's probably out with friends doing her thing. But that's when he notices the smell of gas and then a small spot of blood on the concrete by his feet. Taken aback, these two things concern him. He radios in for backup. Law enforcement and the fire department eventually make their way inside the messy bungalow where they're smacked in the face with the smell of blood. They notice it's coming from a lit stove in the kitchen, and it's a miracle that the place hasn't blown up because not too far from that lit stove is a lit candle on a coffee table in Juliana's living room. Both are put out immediately, and the search continues for Juliana. She's found just seconds later, dead in her bedroom. The tracks on the floor indicate that she had been drugged back into her bedroom, being pulled by her arms or her legs. All over her body are signs of trauma and a struggle, not only all over her, but all over the bungalow as well. 21-year-old Juliana Redding was an aspiring actress and model with beautiful glowing skin, brown hair, and crystal clear blue eyes. Juliana had moved to Los Angeles from Arizona in 2005 to pursue her modeling and acting career while working as a waitress and going to school. She was so pretty and Los Angeles thought so too. She appeared in a music video, she modeled for different products, she was in Maxim magazine, and in countless photo shoots, making great money with each of these jobs. Juliana had big dreams in LA and a taste for the good life. She loved to travel, she loved beautiful things, she had her heart set on making a life for herself that could support all of these dreams. The bungalow Juliana rented was in Santa Monica in an area where nothing like a murder could ever even be imagined. And for this reason, early on, authorities treated Juliana's murder like a targeted attack. It was without question, by evaluating the scene, a targeted attack. There were no signs of forced entry. The doors were secure and so were the windows. It was obvious that Juliana had opened the door for whoever did this to her the evening prior on March 15th at approximately 10 p.m. This is when a text conversation that she had been in came to an abrupt end. A neighbor of Juliana's reported hearing screams and shuffling around 9.53 p.m., and that was also about the same time that Juliana's cell phone had attempted to call 911. Whatever happened inside that bungalow took a little bit of time. Signs of a struggle showed that Juliana fought for her life. She broke fingernails, things around the house were shattered and broken, And the injury to Juliana's head showed that her killer aggressively slammed her head into the floor while they attempted to strangle her with their bare hands. Juliana's skin was found underneath her own fingernails, a sign that she was trying to get her killer's hands off of her. And the marks from that unknown person's hands that were strangling her were left all around Juliana's neck. Lucky for investigators, a ton of DNA was left behind at the scene prosecutor said that he had ever seen at any crime scene in his entire career, which in itself painted an eerie picture of what went down before, after, and during the murder of Juliana Redding. 
The most notable areas of the house where DNA from the killer was found were on the front doorknob, around Juliana's neck, on the tank top that she had been wearing, on the knob of the stove that was left on when first responders arrived, and on Juliana's cell phone, the same phone that she had attempted to call 911 from. The call was terminated, though, before it was able to go through. Nobody ever knew that Juliana was in need of help. All right, so if we can identify this DNA, we have our killer, right? It's like an open and shut case. (laughs) Right, that's exactly what the prosecutors think too. So they send the DNA to the lab and it comes back belonging to a woman, which shocks everybody in the investigation. It's not typical for a woman to be a prime suspect of a murder of this magnitude. So investigators are going to have to dig deep to find a motive for this random murder of this gorgeous girl who didn't have any known enemies. John Gilmore was Juliana's on-again, off-again boyfriend, who was the one that she was texting the night of her murder. He was quickly interviewed, being the boyfriend and all, but he was ruled out after extensive interviews. One reason law enforcement stayed on him for a minute was because Juliana had mentioned in the past that he had a hot temper, and sometimes situations would get out of hand. And John admitted that, telling investigators he was a hothead, saying, you know, there were times where I had kicked her door, there was a time when I kicked her car, but I never have and never would have ever laid a hand on her. On the night of the murder, John had been at a house party. He said that he had told Juliana that he was going to have drinks with friends earlier in the evening. And she was super irritated with him when he told her this. I guess she maybe wanted to hang out, that she had hung up on him. And that's when they picked up the drama through text. The drama of him going out with his friends continued until 10 p.m., and it was never like Juliana to just stop responding to him altogether, especially for the silence to carry on into the next day. But the text messages came to a halt at 10 p.m. that night, which John thought was super weird. So when she didn't answer any calls or any texts from John, John went to the house the next afternoon, but there was no answer. He said that he peeked through the security door. He didn't see anything, you know, that concerned him. He did see that candle that was lit, but that was about it. So John gave it a minute at the front door. And when she didn't answer the front door, you know, he figured she wasn't home. And so she left. Well, whoever murdered Juliana and left her in that bungalow thought that they were going to cover her tracks with that lit candle. Their intention was to blow that bungalow up with that candle and the lit stove, But the universe had other plans. The investigators just had to piece all of this together. DNA was collected from every female known to Juliana, those who she worked with, those that were around, even if they didn't communicate. Over 40 samples were taken and none of them matched. So investigators had to expand their efforts and look outside of the box for their killer. They decided to go back a little further in Juliana's dating life, and the first stop was Dr. Manir Ueda, Juliana's over-the-top millionaire surgeon ex-boyfriend. Manir was a Lebanese-American surgeon who was also a man of mystery to many. He was super rich, even more flashy, not your typical general practitioner. He had this like whole other side to him like a sketchy side and a criminal side. (laughs) He was suspected of medical fraud, but we'll get into that later. So Manir had earned his medical degree in Lebanon. He trained in New York and he went to California's Stanford University. He went on to own many successful clinics and properties all around the world. 
on beaches, with land and horses. Everything was the best of the best with one of his main properties being in Beverly Hills, which is obviously a pretty big deal. So the doctor and Juliana met while she was waitressing. He had spotted her from a distance and was instantly obsessed with her. He ended up hiring her at one of his practices, paying her what people say was a very decent salary, even though she had no experience at all in the medical field. He did anything he could to make life as easy as possible for her. Investigators looked more and more into Dr. Manir Ueda and all of the women in his life since the DNA at the scene belonged to a mystery woman and not a mysterious, filthy rich guy. Many women were looked into, including one in particular, Kelly Sue Park. She was a licensed real estate broker who worked closely with Manir on many of his business dealings. Him having loads of money meant that he had his hands in a ton of different investments. Kelly Sue Park was also an office manager at one of the doctor's practices. Law enforcement had a feeling about Kelly Sue Park. So they followed her around for a while and they ended up picking up one of her cigarette butts to compare the DNA on it to what was found at the scene. And it's a good thing they did because the DNA could not have been a better match. But this woman was a 41-year-old broker. Juliana had never met her and would never willingly let Kelly Sue into her house, right? So the officers are baffled. Based on the evidence that they had to work with or lack of evidence now at this point, they were having a real hard time connecting Juliana to Kelly Sue. There were no connections between the two except for Dr. Ueda, and they could not come up with a motive for murder in this weird triangle. A further look into the doctor revealed his obsession with Juliana before they dated, while she lived with him and after she moved out. Turns out, Dr. Manier was stalking Juliana while she lived in that bungalow that she was murdered in. He would drive by her house at all times of the day, unannounced, popping up at spots that he knew that she would be at hanging out while texting her off the hook. It got to the point where Juliana told one of her friends that she was getting scared. She's like, oh my gosh, is this guy going to kill me? She started to fear for her life. A deeper dig into the doctor's relationship with Kelly Sue revealed some super interesting and creepy details about Manier using Kelly as an intimidator in his business dealings. So when he couldn't close a deal himself, he would send Kelly Sue Park in to close his deals for him or at least try. So the more investigators dug, the further they seen just how entrenched Kelly Sue Park was with Manier and her capacity in his affairs. A real estate agent named Cindy Ogden would recall working with Manier and being confronted by Kelly Sue in regard to an open deal that she had with Dr. Manier. She was face-to-face with Kelly Sue as Kelly Sue tried to intimidate her. And Kelly's just like thinking to herself like, oh my God, like what is this chick going to do if I don't agree to Dr. Ueda's terms? Like what is this? This wasn't the first or the last time the doctor used Kelly in his dirty business transactions either. In a case involving Dr. Ueda and a banker by the name of Jerry Lekinski, Dr. Ueda had sent Kelly over to his office or his house somewhere to straighten him out. Kelly pushed her weight around, making demands, and this was all caught on a hidden wire that someone was wearing who was with Jerry at the time, which, let me just know, is so weird to me because people just wear wires like normally. I've never seen that. 
Investigators could not believe that the doctor actually had his own enforcer, and it was a woman. Investigators started to believe that Dr. Ueda's obsession with Juliana and her hesitancy to get back with him And just like that, they were getting somewhere in this investigation. They discovered the tie between Kelly Sue Park and Juliana. Two incidents led up to Juliana's death. The first was, just before her death, a business deal involving Juliana's dad, who was a licensed pharmacist, and the doctor went to shit after the doctor tried everything in his power to save the deal. The doctor had offered her dad everything to accept this deal, including his Beverly Hills mansion, which he said Greg can use as his own home for as long as he needed. And he told him, you know, stay here until you buy something else. And once you find a house to buy, I will help you buy it. I will buy you any car you want. Price is not a factor. He was basically offering Greg the world along with an annual salary of $400,000 to be a pharmacist at one of his clinics. Juliana's father was like, what the hell is this? Knowing that there was more to what Manier was offering him, it couldn't have just been all of these lavish items and gifts just so he would be the pharmacist at one of his clinics. Juliana's father eventually pulled out of the offer. And the last straw was when Greg's lawyers uncovered that Manier's company, Golden State Pharmaceuticals, was not properly licensed. Greg backing out of this deal infuriated the doctor. In his mind, he had done everything to save the deal, and here Greg was backing out of it. In the doctor's mind, he had lost all of his chances of getting Juliana back. Greg knew that there was something off about this doctor and that he just wasn't right. I mean, it's too coincidental to me that the doctor's relationship with Juliana goes to shit. And now here he is like totally trying to buy her dad. And now that failed. So the doctor had already offered Juliana literally everything down to a Lamborghini for her 21st birthday. She was like, you know what? It's too much, too fast. It scared the crap out of her. She went from really, really liking him to moving into his mansion and now him being a creep who's literally obsessed with her. So it's too much of a coincidence that now he's pretty much offering her dad all of these same things just so he can stay close to Juliana. But for Juliana's 21st birthday, the doctor chartered a private plane to Vegas with the two of them and all of her girlfriends for an amazing all-expense-paid weekend to celebrate the birthday girl. And even though they were already broken up, the doctor would take every opportunity he could to show Juliana the love and attention that he felt that she deserved. And he wasn't going to let their breakup ruin these plans. But this lavish trip would come to an abrupt end when Greg calls Juliana in Vegas with some disturbing news. Greg had just found out that Dr. Manier was a married man with three kids back in Lebanon. Juliana had no idea and she had lived with him. If he was shady about this, what else was he lying about? All of this came out while Greg was doing some investigating of his own into Dr. Manier and that business deal that we were discussing earlier. Juliana and all of her friends moved out of the hotel room that the doctor had set up for them and into their own and eventually made their way back home. Dr. Ueda could not apologize or buy his way out of this one. Not this time. No way. Five months after this Vegas trip, Juliana's dad sent Dr. Ueda a letter formally removing himself from the pharmaceutical position that he had been in negotiations with with the doctor. 
just a few days later, Juliana would be dead and Kelly Sue Park's DNA would be all over Juliana's house. Authorities finally moved in, arresting Kelly Sue Park two years after Juliana's murder. Kelly pled not guilty and someone posted Kelly's $3.5 million bond. I don't know how this is possible, but they have no idea who put that bond up for her. They were never able to determine where the money came from. So we all know where that money came from, shady-ass Dr. Minier. The same shady-ass doctor who fled to Lebanon two days after Kelly Sue Park's arrest. He's such a bag of shit. He has Juliana killed, then he takes off leaving Kelly Sue to figure out this mess for him. But I guess that's what she was doing all along, so there's nothing new here. So Kelly would begin accepting wire transfers from the doctor over a course of 18 months that totaled over $1 million with no explanation. Yes, she was a broker, and no doubt she did very well for herself. And she did do business with the doctor, but documentation for these wire transactions did not exist, which led to one conclusion. Kelly Sue Park got paid to kill Juliana Redding. Prosecutors would argue that Kelly Park had a history of threatening and intimidating people who Dr. Ueda was in disputes with, traveling long distance to intimidate many on the doctor's behalf. Investigators believe that Greg, Juliana's dad, pulled out of that business deal with Dr. Ueda, and then Dr. Ueda knew that there was never a chance of getting Juliana back. But in one last-ditch effort, he brought in Kelly, who was often able to get people to change their minds in the doctor's favor. The situation then got out of hand, and only one person left the bungalow alive that night. This picture is no different than any other time the doctor had called Kelly Sue Park in, except someone ended up dead. Well, this is the only time that we know that someone ended up dead. Allegations of fraud against the doctor, his company, and employees also surfaced during Kelly Sue's trial. Apparently, the doctor and his staff had conned insurance companies out of $150 million dollars They duped patients into believing that they needed these necessary surgeries. They would also bring patients in, talk to them for a minute or so, and then bill their insurance for like an hour-long visit. Some of the surgeries that Dr. Ueda's patients had weren't performed by him, but instead a physician's assistant, which is like so against the law. Dr. Ueda was ordered to pay a $1 million judgment for medical equipment that he had ordered, used inside of his practice, and never paid a penny for. Authorities called Dr. Ueda's actions and practices a non-traditional form of organized crime that takes advantage of society's weakness, an issue that is rampant in the American medical practice. Kelly denied having any involvement in any sort of fraud at all, Even though she was the office manager in at least one of his offices, even though she had her name on some of his bank accounts, her name was also on some of his shell companies, and she was said to be present at weekly meetings where the doctor and others would gather and come up with plans and new ways to hide Dr. Ueda's money, his assets, and everything else he had from the law, creditors, and insurance companies. And you're telling me that the doctor did not pay these people to keep their mouth shut? Mm, he's shady. Kelly's lawyer would go on to say that she had no involvement at all in any of this. Of course she didn't. 
And just a side note, this same attorney would go on to represent Kelly Sue Park in all of her court cases. So they're all getting paid. The murder trial began in May of 2013, five years after Juliana's murder. The prosecution argued that the bruised ego of Dr. Ueda led to Juliana's murder. After being rejected by Juliana countless times and then being rejected by her father, the doctor's sick attempt to use Greg to get to Juliana, Ueda in his mind had no choice but to bring in his muscle, Kelly Sue Park, his muscle turned hit woman. Dr. Ueda used Kelly to stalk Juliana as his female James Bond and sent her to the bungalow to intimidate and threaten Juliana to get back with him. I mean, that is just sad on so many levels. Like, Dr. Ueda, get over it. Why don't you go show your wife some attention in Lebanon? So anyways, Dr. Ueda knew how fearful she would be, and that is disgusting. The situation inside of the bungalow between Juliana and Kelly Sue got so out of hand, Juliana, knowing that she was in danger, had attempted to call 911 from her cell phone, but the call was terminated by Kelly Sue before that call can go through. A violent struggle occurred inside the bungalow. Juliana fought for her life, while Kelly Sue Park fought even harder to take it from her. Dishes were broken, Juliana's things were thrown all over, while six-foot Kelly Sue Park overpowered Juliana. In the fight, an abundance of Kelly's DNA was left behind at the scene. On the doorknob, on the cell phone, the stove, the tank top that Juliana was wearing, and the prosecutor's smoking gun— Kelly left a thumbprint in blood on a broken dish inside of Juliana's bungalow. The defense never questioned the DNA that was found throughout Juliana's place. But Kelly Sue Park's attorneys knew that they had to fight the prosecution in an attempt just to get a hung jury in this murder trial because there was so much damning DNA evidence. They went as far as to hire a professional firm called the Trial Pickers, who I really don't want to plug right now, but I kind of had to to professionally select the jurors for this trial based on a formula of each person's true crime TV consumption. So jurors were actually chosen based on the type of shows that they watched, with an emphasis on those people who watched a show called The Good Wife. Representatives from the firm said that these individuals would challenge any evidence that was brought forth, even if it appeared to be a slam dunk case like the one that we're in now, where the main suspect's DNA was just left all over the crime scene. Just because it's everywhere, including all over the victim, and we have our potential killer, these jurors would go and question the hell out of the evidence, where there is basically no such thing as a slam dunk case if you pick the right jurors. So the defense accused Juliana's boyfriend, John Gilmore, as the murderer. His alibi could not have been more solid, but then you cue in those hard-headed hand-picked jurors. But John was good. He had been seen on multiple security cameras all around town the night of the murder. And he also had witnesses that could attest to him being at the house party that night. So Kelly's attorney said that Kelly Sue most definitely had nothing to do with the murder. She didn't know Juliana and it would have been impossible for her to be the killer. They said Kelly was only six feet tall and she only weighed 40 more pounds than Juliana, which would have not been nearly enough to overpower Juliana, who was only three inches shorter than her. Kelly's defense had a wild story explaining how Kelly's DNA was transferred. Yes, transferred all over the crime scene. (laughs) 
They said that Kelly was not in the bungalow that night of the murder, nor had she ever been there before or after, that it was a mystery killer, someone unknown to anybody who was responsible for the murder. It's like, how is this possible? Well, the defense said that this mystery person that was out to kill Juliana had a rag or a towel in their possession that had come from Dr. Ueda's mansion. They said that the mystery killer used this rag to clean up the crime scene after killing Juliana, but little did this killer know they were planting Kelly's evidence all over the bungalow. But to that, I have to ask, well, the first question that I ask is, how was only Kelly Sue's DNA left behind and not this mystery killer's? Isn't that a little suspicious? But anyways... The defense would say that the rag or towel went from Ueda's mansion, like into a trash can, where this mystery person with murderous tendencies grabs it out of the trash, like, ew, gross, and just happens to later murder that doctor's ex-girlfriend who he had been stalking and trying to bribe back into his life while planting the doctor's enforcer's DNA everywhere. Like, that is such a bad movie, a movie that would bomb but this was the defense's best attempt at causing reasonable doubt, again aiming for that hung jury. They urged the jury to not be fooled by DNA. And we cannot forget about Kelly's bloody thumbprint on that broken plate that was inside the sink. And the defense's explanation is just as unreasonable as all of the others. They said that Juliana had actually packed that plate when she moved out of Dr. Ueda's mansion to later use as her own inside the bungalow. But before Kelly had packed that plate, Kelly had touched the plate while it was still at the doctor's house. And when it ended up inside of Juliana's sink the night of the murder, and a drop of blood landed on the exact spot on the plate that Kelly Sue had touched way back when during the struggle. Like, what is this bad movie? So they said that there is an explanation for the wires that totaled over a million dollars, that it was all business. It was all business with no paperwork to back it up, and the paperwork just wasn't necessary. The jury would deliberate for seven full days. Juliana's friends and family filled the courtroom, and finally, through the deafening silence, came the verdict. Not guilty. Not guilty to charges of first-degree murder and a deadlock on the charge of second-degree murder. What in the heck? Kelly Sue was acquitted. She got off. She got away with murder, even after leaving all of that DNA behind that would have been enough for a life sentence. The defense was hoping for a hung jury, so they were even more shocked at this acquittal probably than anybody else in the room. In all of this, Dr. Ueda was never seen in court. He was 7,000 miles away, living his best life, maybe even being a father to his kids. Who knows if we can imagine that. But it's super crazy that this whole story that is centered around this relationship between Dr. Ueda and Juliana and the doctor's like nowhere to be found. So Dr. Ueda was never charged with Juliana's death and his medical license has been canceled. Juliana's case remains unsolved, although it actually has been solved in the court of public opinion. 
Thank you guys so much for joining me today on another episode of Those Murder Girls Podcast. I will see you back here next Friday with a brand new episode. Bye, guys.